0: It's a story that we've heard numerous, numerous times, but let me tell you something. It's more than just a children's Sunday school book story, and I want to talk to you about not the miracle, not, the, not just the miracle of the crossing of the Red Sea, but the miracles of the crossing of the Red Sea. In light of all the troubling news and the concerning events and, quite frankly, the frightening scenarios that we're seeing around the world today, I want us to look at a major event in the Scripture that demonstrates the absolute power of God. That demonstrates God's willingness, God's power to keep His promises... That demonstrates the fact that God is on his throne. And we know from scripture. That we are not to mock God. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth. That shall he also reap. And it's important that we not mock God. It's important that we not disobey God when he calls us to do something. This morning I want us to look at the account from the scripture that assures us that with God all things are possible. All things are possible. And it's foolish to disobey God. You know what? use this mic? I promise not to jump around or anything. (laughs) All right, can you hear me? Is that on now? Is that better? Maybe I had something caught in my voice. Well, this morning, I want us to talk about the crossing of the Red Sea. Turn with me to Ezekiel, I mean, Exodus, they both start with a knee. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. It's a story that we're all We've heard it so many, many times. Exodus chapter 1. Start with verse 6. Exodus chapter 6. And Joseph died, and all of his brethren, and all that generation. You know the story about how Joseph went into Egypt, as sold into slavery? And then because of Joseph and the dreams, the visions that God gave him, he was able to save not only his family, they all died. Verse 7, and the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly. Remember, this is down in Egypt. And multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. Verse 8, now there rose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. So this king's not going to be nearly as friendly. As a matter of fact, he's not going to be friendly at all. This king, this Pharaoh, is going to have it out for the children of Israel, for the Hebrews. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than me, than we are. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and come to pass That unto our enemies, that they join also unto our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. See, God was blessing them. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor or hardship. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor or with hardship. And we know it's going to come to a point the next few verses talks about the Pharaoh's plan to Extinguished the nation of Israel to kill out to kill off all the Hebrews. He went to the midwives because they were multiplying and because they the nation was growing. Matter of fact, by the time they leave, they're going to have close to two million are going to leave Egypt on their way to the promised land. And the Pharaoh comes up, he concocts this idea, and he goes to the midwives and he says, Listen. If a male child is born to the women of Israel, throw him in the river, in the Nile. If it's a girl, it's female, it's okay. If it's a male, pitch him in the river. What kind of what kind of horrid man would want to abort his, I mean, to throw his baby into a river? As a matter of fact, I think it's one of the reasons why the first plague, what does God do? He turns the water into blood. Blood, that kind of gives you an idea of what God's impression was of that, what they were doing. But the midwives said, We're not gonna do that. We're not gonna do that. The next part of that story is we see Moses is born, and him being a male, and the Pharaoh's orders. Throw him in the river. Pharaoh. Uh, Moses' mom, she knows it's better to obey God rather than man. Amen. And so she puts him in the river all right, but she surrenders him to God. Lord, your will be done. And this shows you that God has a sense of humor. Here was Pharaoh saying, kill all the male children, which, by the way, was another attack of Satan to stop the seed of the woman. You do understand that, right? Stop the seed of the woman. If you can stop that seed of the woman, if, all, if you can kill out all the male children and the seed of the woman can't go forward, then Christ can't be born. And that was another tactic of Lucifer himself to stop Christ from coming, dying for the sins of the world for your sins. Moses' mom takes Moses and he puts him in the basket and he shoves him out into the river Nile. And to show that God has a sense of humor, he causes Pharaoh's daughter to see Moses, recognizing him as one of the Hebrew children, has pity on him. She takes him in and Moses is raised in Pharaoh's court. He's educated, he's fed, he's housed, he's taken care of. You you know where a safe place is, that's in Pharaoh's castle, in his place. And so Moses is growing up and being educated and 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 being taken care of, being protected. Then there comes a time when Moses has to leave. Exodus 2 verse 23 is an interesting verse that we need to make sure we understand. This Pharaoh had not stopped persecuting the children of Israel. Verse 23 of chapter 2, And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. And the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried. And their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect for them. God is going to deliver the children of Israel from that bondage. And the very one who was being raised in Pharaoh's court, God was going to use him to do that. It is Moses that God is going to send to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. It's this Moses that God is going to direct to go into Pharaoh. It's Moses that's going to orchestrate the ten plagues that are about to come. It is this Moses that God is going to tell what his name is. It's this Moses that God is going to use in a mighty way to deliver his people. As they cry out to him, God God hears their cry. He sees their plight. And by his grace, his goodness, his mercy, he loves, he's going to deliver them. And he calls this Moses to do that. And from chapter 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 all the way through up until chapter 14, we have Moses dealing with the children of Israel, dealing with Pharaoh, and the ten plagues. By the way, these ten plagues are all directed at the deities of Egypt, the gods of Egypt. God is saying, I'm the true God. I'm the all-powerful God. It's not these bugs and frogs and mites and, and all these other things that you worship. I am the true and living God. As a matter of fact, where God leads Moses to the Red Sea and has them camp, it is there that God shows in front of the, the mountain where Baal is worshipped, that Baal is a von, That is an indication that's where Baal supposedly lived, where he was worshipped. He was the overall God. And it's there that God says, watch this. Every one of those plagues were directed at one of the gods of Egypt, including that final when God causes the seed to part. Pharaoh let the people go. He finally acquiesced and he thought, what? When the, on the 10th plague, when, when the firstborn of every family passed away, uh, he finally acquiesced and said, okay, okay, you can go. But then what does Pharaoh do? He changes his mind. He changes his mind. Look at Exodus chapter 14. What this story tells us is you do not mess around with a true and living God. You Don't mess around with a true and living God. He is to be honored. He is worthy of worship. He is worthy of praise. And by the way, by the way, it surprises me. I had someone just just recently, a guy that, was upset. Some things weren't going his way, and and he just said, "I'm, I'm not sure I believe in God anymore. I'm, I'm just, I'm just not sure I believe in God." Something was going on in his life, and it was kind of in turmoil, and and uh, uh, things had happened to to I can't remember if it was a sister or a brother or something, and the brother had died, or sister I can't remember, but he was blaming God for that. And so he was saying some pretty derogatory things about God. I, I just don't believe in God anymore because look what God has done. And I thought, wait a minute, that's just not, you're, you're telling me you don't believe in God, yet you're saying you don't, you don't believe in him, yet you're blaming him? It can't be both ways. You can't, you can't not believe in something and then blame him also for what just transpired. That's never made sense to me. But I something else too, by the way, I'll share this with him. You really think that God is the one that caused your brother to die? And you're mad at God and you're going to stamp your little feet and you're going to shake your finger in the face of God who you think caused your brother to die? Are you sure you want to do that? If, if he is able to do what you think he did and you want to shake your fist, I don't think I'd be doing that. I think the opposite is really what's called for if you really think that God did that. Not sure if it got through to him, but that's a fact. So anyway, here's Pharaoh. God has shown his might he has shown his, his ability. He has said, let my people go. And keep this in mind, Pharaoh came to Moses with a hard heart. Then God hardened his heart. Then Pharaoh hardened his heart. Then God hardened his Then God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Then Pharaoh hardened his heart. Then God that, that he came with a hard heart. And God allowed him to dig his own grave. Literally. So, chapter 14 of Exodus. Again, God is not someone we mess with, folks. He's someone we love. He's someone we serve. He's someone that we worship. Start with Exodus 13. I know I said 14, but Exodus 13. Sorry, Diana. Verse 17. Exodus 13, verse 17. And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, for God said, lest perhaps the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. See, God still had a lot of stuff he needed to teach this nation. He still had a lot. They had a lot to learn. Plus, it was I think it was only 250 miles. It was only one month. When they left Egypt, it was only about one month, even for this large group, to get up to the promised land. But God wasn't going to take them the easy route because there were things they needed to learn. There were things they needed to do. As a matter of fact, before they had opportunity to go into the promised land, there was a year they were in the wilderness. What was going to happen in that year? Number one, God was going to give them the law. Were they going to need it as a nation when they go into the land? Absolutely. They were going to be given the law in that year. What else were they going to build during that time? The tabernacle. The the designs for the tabernacle are going to be given to them. And they were going to take the tabernacle into uh, the promised land with them. So all of those things had to happen. So God... He wasn't going to take them directly into the promised land because he knows that if they start going, all of a sudden they're going to run into the Philistines, there's going to be war, and they're going to go, oh, woe is me, and they're going to give up. Matter of fact, even a year later, even after God gives them the law out of his love, after God gives them the, the tabernacle where they can worship, even after God leads them, with a cloud showing them by the way, if you saw a cloud appear and you saw that directing you, what's a pretty good evidence of, no, not a pretty good evidence, what's that an evidence of? That God's leading. You can trust that. Even after a year of that, God's God's protective cloud over over them while that year they spend. Even then when they go to the promised land or, or get to the outskirts of it because of fear, because of doubt, they don't go into the land because they see giants. The 12 spies come back and 10 of them go, they're giants. We can't conquer the land. Only two of them said, hey, no, God gave us that land. Let's go. Let's get there. That's, that's, that's the land God's given us. No, they're giants. And so they were too afraid to go. So God said, okay, then I've got more to teach you for the next 40 years. This generation is not going to go into the promised land. Even after all of that that God had done. But anyway, back to verse 18, chapter 13. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up, harnessed out of the land of Egypt. About $2 And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn his children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and he shall carry up my bones away hence with you. And they took their journey from Sukkoth and encamped in Etham in the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in the pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. Boy, you talk about God's provision. You talk about God being faithful. You're talking about God proving himself. It's God's way of saying, hey, I'm leading you. You can trust me. And he took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night, from before the people. Chapter 14, verse 1. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, speaking to the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before Pahiaroth, before Migdal and the sea over against Baal Zavon, the Lord of darkness, the Lord of the north, the Lord of the hidden. Exactly what the word Zephon means. We're not exactly sure, but it, it's Lord of the north, Lord of the darkness, before it shall you encamp by the sea. By the way, where God is going to direct them looks like God is leading them into a trap. Looks like they would have a great excuse to say, no, God, we don't want to go that direction. Because where you're taking us, it's, it's into a trap. Where he was taking them to that point is across from there is an island, the island of Tyran, T-I-R-A-N. On that island is this mount that supposedly this false god existed. Well, he didn't really exist, but that's where he was worshipped. That's where people would point to and say, that's where he is. So it had a lot of meaning. That's where God's going to take them. That's where he's going to lead them. He takes them right to to that exact spot. For Pharaoh, verse 3, for Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land and the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all of his host that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. What God's about to do is to prove to his people and to his enemies that he's God. That he is all-powerful. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? Short memories. Short memories. And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. He took 600 chosen chariots of all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued, pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with a high hand. They went out excited. They went out gladly. They went out and with their forces marshaled, marching out right behind them came Pharaoh and his army. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamping by the sea beside Pahiroth before Beelzevan. Trapped. Trapped. Humanly speaking, these were dire circumstances. Oh God, how could you have led us here? Don't you love us? Don't you care about what happens to us? So in fact, that's kind of what they're going to say here. The bottom line is, yes, God really cares about them. He cares so much about them that he was allowing them to get into this situation so he could show these people exactly how powerful, how mighty, how holy he is. That if God can do what he's about to do, then what in the world do they need to fear? They might have looked at it as a trap. They may have been discouraged. And sometimes things like that happen to us when we get into circumstances and we think, Lord, don't you love me? Lord, how did we get into this situation? And all the while, God is just wanting to say, watch what I can. On your behalf, watch what I am capable of doing under even dire circumstances like this. Verse 10, the people start, When Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and they beheld the Egyptians marched after them. And I'm sure that was a frightening scene. They were a mighty army. And they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, And they said unto Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, thou hast taken us away to die in the wilderness. Three times they're going to say that same thing. Three times. They're going to bring that up. Once when they are afraid. Once when they had no water. Once when they had no food. That seems to be the thing that they say as they stomp their little feet and going, why did you lead us here? In each and every time, what does God do? He proves himself to be faithful. We, sometimes we take our, our eyes off of God and we put them on the circumstances. In scripture after scripture, episode after episode, the Bible is just full of examples of people taking their eyes off of God, putting them on the circumstances, putting them on other people. And what happens when we do that? And they said, because Moses, and they said unto Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, that was taking us away to die in the wilderness. Wherefore, hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt, is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Uh, Psalm 106, 7 and 8, we won't go there. We'll run out of time. But Psalm 106 tells us this very episode that God was provoked. God was provoked by their actions, by their attitude, by what they were saying. God's word tells us that he went ahead and he saves them for two reasons. One for his namesake, and the second, uh, so they would know God's power, and they could come to trust in God's power. Verse thirteen, and Moses said unto the people, "Fear God, ye not. Well fear, fear ye not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will show to you today." For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. The circumstances, the predicament they were in was in order for God to show Him strong, Himself strong on their behalf. And they could trust Him even in a situation like this. As a matter of fact, when you study the scripture over and over, God tells his people to stand still. When he's about to do something, he tells them to stand still in Numbers, in 1 Samuel, in Psalms, over and over and over again. God tells people, stand still and watch what he's able to do on our behalf. Oh, what a plan of salvation. What a God we serve. And how thankful I am that I can't save, and I know this, I cannot save myself. I can't do anything to merit God's salvation, to merit heaven. So I stand still in belief. And I trust Christ on Calvary's cross to deliver me from my offenses. And I trust the fact that the tomb is empty to justify, to justify the sinner who's been saved by grace. Verse 14, the Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Leave it to God. Don't you try to do anything. Don't you try to make a way. Don't you try to do anything to appease the enemy. Don't you do anything to try to fight the enemy because you'll lose. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord and the Lord said unto Moses wherefore criest thou unto me speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward you stand still you believe and then action you go forward faith in believing faith in moving forward but lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thy hand over the sea and divide it and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea not maybe not perhaps well let's just see what happens no they shall they shall go on dry ground by the way what we're getting ready to see is there was only one way of salvation only one way to be saved and it was by faith That the children of Israel had to walk into that wall of water. There was no other way of salvation except the way that God had designed. And it was going to be by faith that they take that first step into the Red Sea. And Behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians that they shall follow them. And I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all of his host, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am Jehovah, whom I have gotten me honor unto Pharaoh, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And the angel of God, not the angel of Jehovah, not the angel of the Lord. And that, there's a whole lesson there too. But but here it's talking about Elohim, powerful in creation, powerful in might, not Jehovah. The covenant promise, because what he's getting ready to do to the Egyptians have nothing to do with his promise of salvation or the covenant, but has everything to do with his power and his might. And the angel of Elohim, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them, and the pillar of the cloud went before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud of darkness to them, but it gave light by day, by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night. A Couple of miracles. I said this was the 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 uh, talking about the miracles of the Red Sea. People think that one miracle is the waters parted and everybody walked down, and the, that Moses stretched forth his rod and and the waters parted and made a way for them to cross and oh wow what a miracle and it was a miracle. But there were a lot more miracles associated with this. Number one the fact that that cloud came from the front it went around to the back talk about with God all things possible how do you have darkness for one side and light for the other? One they couldn't see what was going on as they got together to depart. The other it was like day hey they They could see exactly where they were going. God was their light. That was a miracle. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the dry land, and the waters were divided. There you go for another miracle. Powerful. As a matter of fact, at this point in the Red Sea, It is 11 miles across. 11 miles from where they were to get across was 11 miles. To move 2 million people or so that far was going to take a major undertaking, and it wasn't going to happen, no, beam me over, Scotty. It was going to take a while to get them there. Plus, keep this in mind. This point in the Red Sea, which is part of the Gulf of Aqaba, it was caused by an earthquake or a fissure. It's about 800 feet deep. If my research was right, and I researched it, I even, I even worked to convert what it said to, from meters to feet. That's, enough, that's another miracle <laughs> that I was able to do that. But you still might want to check my math. 800 feet, 250, 250 meters. Somebody do the math. Tim, I'm counting on you. Two, 250 meters, which is about 800 feet. That water goes back, and they have to go down into it. They have to walk. They have to walk. We've all seen Cecil B. DeMille's. We, we have an idea of what it was like. And they had to go down into that with a wall of water on both sides. Folks, that took faith. But you know what? It was the only way. It was the only way. And God was going to use this way. Get this. God was going to use this way to defeat the enemy. God was going to use that Salvation to defeat the enemy. And the children, verse 22, and the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left, talk about by faith. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, even all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And it came to pass in the morning, watch the Lord looked into the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians. And he took off their chariot wheels that they drove them heavily. Here's another miracle. I'm sure those chariot wheels were well greased and well cared for. I'm sure as they were marching, they, they had not been neglected. They were going into battle. This was an act of God to cause the chariot wheels to start falling off. Just falling off. As a matter of fact, that fact was not lost on the Egyptians. Verse 25, And he took off their chariot wheels, that they drave them heavily, so that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Well, duh, you finally get it. It's exactly right. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thy hand over the sea, that the waters may come again unto the Egyptians, and upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it. And the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. And there remained not so much as one of them, and I believe that includes Pharaoh himself. God basically said, that's it. And the Lord saved Israel. That day out of the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw the great work which the Lord did unto the Egyptians and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. See, that was what God intended to do all along. I'm going to show you my might. I'm going to show you my strength. I'm going to show you that I am your God. You can trust in me. Through all of this. And they did. Chapter 15. Real quick. Chapter 15. Remember verse 23 of chapter 2? They were whining and crying. And in such dire straits. Well see when God moved. Look at the result. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song. Before they were crying, now they are singing as God worked in his mighty way. And he spoke, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he is become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him a habitation. My Father's God, I will exalt him. See, that's the result that God was wanting. When they saw everything was taking place, basically what they're saying is, Lord, we surrender. We recognize that you and you alone are God. And this miracle was performed across from where Baal was supposed to be worshipped. God was saying, I'm going to show you who the mighty one is. And he did that. This morning, I have no idea what kind of difficulty you're going through. I have no idea what troubles you're facing. I have no idea what frightening scenario you are living in the midst of. But I know this. God is on his throne. That he is an almighty God and he is powerful to save. And this morning, if you've never trusted Christ as your savior, this is the moment to do that. Quit putting God off. Quit denying the fact that he loves you, that Christ died for you, that his desire is to deliver you from your sin. That's his desire. That is God's desire to make a new creation out of you, where old things are passed away, behold, all things become new. Why anybody would reject Christ Jesus? I have no idea. unfortunately a lot of folks do the salvation that God extends to you is belief believe the gospel believe that he died for you, take it personally believe that he was buried for you take it personally, believe that he was was raised again for you, take it personally don't just believe he did it, believe he did it for you that he was delivered for your offenses, was raised again for your justification. God's desire is for you to take that salvation personally. That eternal life is offered to you through what Christ accomplished on Calvary's cross, through his shed blood. So if you're not saved, this is the day where you become that new creation. If you are saved, you know that you're a child of God, a joint heir of Christ and you're struggling with certain things going on in your life know that God's desire is to deliver you from that and to bless you and to use those very circumstances to bring glory to himself and and isn't that what it's really about? I'm not going to say that God wants to use what's going on to be a blessing to you. I, 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 he does. He does. But here's what we need to understand, Christian. Here's what we need to understand is God leads us into these times into these difficulties and, and so that we grow in him so that we understand how he works so that we can see him at work in our life so we can praise his name and glorify him. That's what we do as believers trusting him. So as we look at the crossing of the Red Sea, like I said, it's more than just a story that we read to kids in Sunday school, although it's good to read that story to kids in Sunday school. It's much deeper, much more meaningful than that, amen. Let's pray. Father, I come before you now. We come before you as sinners saved by grace. We come before you thanking you for your salvation that we we can partake in through Christ Jesus. Father, thankful this morning that you make new creations out of each and every person who believes. We go from being in Adam to being in Christ. Oh, Father, may we understand the security. May we understand the eternal redemption that's all part of that change that comes upon us. Father, may we understand that it's not by works of righteousness that we've done, but by your mercy that you saved us. Father, it's by your grace, it's not of works. There's absolutely nothing we can do to merit your salvation. Father, may each and every one of us here understand that, and I pray this morning, if there's anyone here who's never by faith trusted in Christ Jesus, that this will be the moment they do so. In the quietness, and the stillness of this moment, I pray the Holy Spirit will just move in their heart, speak to them, Declare to them their need for the Lord Jesus. Father, may you move in the hearts of believers. Father, as we face dangerous times, as we face frightening times, as we see the world just going absolutely bananas, Father, I pray that you will give us a boldness and an understanding of your word that we might stand upon it not flinching, but declaring to a lost world that so desperately needs to hear that Christ is the answer. And we pray these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and be dismissed.